tonight. I'm so proud to have the greatest singer in the world in the auditorium tonight. It's Marvin Gaye. But it is good to be with you this morning. And I know, I know, I know, a couple of weeks ago I said that I was going to conclude our Christian Music That Is Not Christian Music series, and I thought that I was, and yet I got a phone call on a Wednesday morning from Jerry Davis, and he said that I, I heard a song that would be so good for your series. I said, well, what song is it? And it just so happened to be one that I have heard my, my whole entire life, so I said, nope, that is going to be my message this coming Sunday. So actually, this is going to be the last Sunday of our Christian music, that is not Christian music series, I promise. I think, I think. I take full blame for that. Oh no, I'm glad you did. Oh, that's fine. And so we're going to take you back to the year 1973 this morning. We're going to go back to the year 1973, to the days of Soul Train and to Don Cornelius. Back when Walter Horsey and Bob Thompson probably sported afros and wore orange leisure suits. And that's because the artist who we're going to be looking at this morning is Marvin Gaye. I love Marvin Gaye. One of my all-time favorite artists. One of the greatest singing voices that we will ever hear, a tenor that just soared and soared and soared. And he didn't just merely sing a song, but he lived in the lyric. I think the only other person who lived in the lyric more, of course, was, was Billie Holiday, but, but Marvin Gaye lived in the lyric. And there's a live album where at one point in the concert, he is so feeling every single melody of the song that he actually begins sobbing as he sings on the microphone live um, on stage. I mean, he just made you want to um, dance and to sing and to live on one song, but then on the very next song, he would make you want to cry. And even at times, he made you want to die. And that is literally what our message is going to be this morning 1973, he released a song called, If I Should Die Tonight. And the words go, If I should die tonight, though it be far before my time, I won't die blue because I've known you. And how many eyes have seen their dream? How many arms have felt their dream? How many hearts have felt their world stand still? And yet millions never, ever, ever will. And then it says that I am so thankful that you are loving me. My one desire is to love you until I am no longer here. You've just been so good to me because, and I am so grateful, it says, and thankful. It repeats the chorus line again at the end of the song, and it says, if I should die tonight, I just want you to keep this one thought in mind. And he says that I would never die blue because I've known you. And it's a beautiful song that is really saying in essence that if, if this were to be my last day on the face of the earth, 
I would be dying in the prime of my life with a world to be gained and a world to be won. But if I were to die tonight, I would not be dying sad or, or unfulfilled, but rather I would be dying as the happiest man on the face of the earth. Simply because I have known your, um, your love and having you, you in my life. And yet again, we are listening to a song that is a secular love song between a man and a woman, clearly. And yet the closer that we listen to it with our Christian ears and with our Christian hearts and our Christian souls, all of a sudden a secular love song now starts changing and now becomes a love song to our Lord and to our King and to our Savior. And so we come to the book of Philippians this morning, Philippians chapter 1. And in Philippians chapter 1 and in verse 18, what Paul says is that, yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and through the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, that this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. But rather, that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by death, or by life. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. And yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. He says that I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far greater, that is much greater, much better, he says. And yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary on your account. And so convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and your joy in our faith of Christ Jesus. And you know, whenever I try to put myself in the shoes of the Apostle Paul, knowing where he is as he writes these words, if he had my attitude that, that I've carried so many years throughout my, my lifetime, I would have looked at all of this as a lose-lose scenario. Because where is Paul as he writes his letter at the Church of Philippi? He is, he's in a Roman jail. I mean, he, he is in jail. He's been charged with a capital crime and he's got the very strong likelihood of his execution looming over his head day and night, night and day. And yet of all individuals and in all circumstances that we read in scripture, we hear Paul use the word joy or rejoice 14 times in this very small letter that he writes. This is the happiest book that we read in scripture even more than Song of Songs. And yet as we hear that, that sentence that if I should die tonight, I think for a lot of people that is a, a hypothetical that we would rather not entertain. Because, I mean, that requires so much heavy lifting on our parts, doesn't it? Death has a thudding finality. Death is is so often it is perceived to be the end and game over. 
And so oftentimes, when it pertains to a person who is dying, well, well, that is only what is happening to other people and to other families. And yet it does not happen to me or, or to my spouse. And it definitely does not happen to my kids or to our, our grandchildren. I mean, it's hard enough facing our, our 40th or our, our 50th birthdays let alone facing that one day I'm going to die. It's depressing enough looking into a mirror as a person's hair starts turning gray, and as then later on it begins falling out of their head. This is a thought that so oftentimes is, is feared, and it's avoided, and, and it is absolutely resisted. And so what do we do so oftentimes about our own death? Well, we like to busy ourselves with, with distractions and with hobbies and with laughter and with noise and with work. And so what does our life become? Well, we wake up early in the morning. We fight traffic. We spend our days working hard underneath a blazing sun. We fight traffic again. We go home and we eat dinner and we pay the bills and we watch TV and we go to sleep and then the very next day we wake up and we're doing it all over again. And I mean, it is just so easy to be hypnotized by the stress and by the responsibilities of this anxious culture and to just deliriously drift through a routine as if this is going to continue for another thousand years. One of the only things that has the power to awaken us from the spell of the rat race routine is the death of a person who we love above all other individuals. And then all of a sudden, in a heartbeat, in the blinking of an eye, we are reminded that, that everything that we can see in this world, even we ourselves in these bodies, is in the process of deterioration, of erosion, of slowly but surely drifting away and dissolving into nothingness. <laughs> that even the earth itself is, is long since in, in the process of erosion and of deterioration. And yet, as we open up God's word, though, in the scriptures, we are described exactly as we truly are, aren't we? I think about one woman who we read about, 2 Samuel chapter 14, verse 14, a woman who comes from a place called Tekoa, who comes before king of Israel, and she says to king David that, that in one place what she says is that, behold, O king. We must all surely die, for we are like water that is spilled upon the ground. And once it has been spilled, it cannot be gathered up together again. Scripture is saying that is what we are. And so the very next time that we accidentally spill water on the ground, look at it for a very long time. And when we do this, we are looking directly into a mirror. It's like, that's, that's going to be me someday right there. We are water spilled upon the ground. There's nobody who's going to be able to grab our urn and to place all of our, our ashes on a table and to piece us back into being in our bodies again. We can't go to the graveyard and have somebody 
have a shovel and to dig us back up and to bring us back to life on this earth. Once we have passed away, that is the point of no return in this world. And so we are water spilled upon the ground, but what we also learn in the Word of God is that we are also a flower. That's a metaphor James uses in James chapter 1. He says, For the sun rises with a scorching heat, and it withers the grass. Its flower falls in its beauty, it perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. And yes, that is speaking about wealthy people. And yes, as 21st century people, we are immensely wealthy people. He's saying that our wealth is just like a flower. It's, it's in all of its glory right now. Our possessions look, look shiny and new right now, but it's just a flower. It's not going to last forever. Moth and rust will inevitably eat away at it. Thieves can break in and steal it. And yet it's also a description of the wealth of our youth, though of our human bodies, those wrinkles and those aches and pains, they are coming. Amen, church? And you know, every time that I buy Amanda roses, it always brings a smile to her face. And yet you check back to those same roses a week and a half later, and it doesn't look the same anymore. Where the vivid red that, that once had captivated her eye is now wasting away in the blackness of erosion. And every single one of those, those, those flowers, they are withering and the stems are falling off one after the other. And every time that we see flowers rotting before our eyes, we, we are able to actually look at that and to look into a mirror and say, that is me and everything that I own in this world. As the old hymn says, here they, they bloom but for a season, and soon their beauty is decayed. Well, what James also says about us, though, is that we are also a mist. We are a mist that appears for a very short time in this world, but then in the blink of an eye, it just vanishes as if it were, were really never even there to begin with. We don't even know what our lives are going to even look like here tomorrow. I mean, we just have no idea. And that's really been what 2020 has been like, at least um, in my experience. It seems like Amanda and I should still be in Conshohocken in December. Late December, just before New Year's, we had gone to Conshohocken late one evening and we were planning what we were going to do on our work calendars. I was planning all of my messages I would preach here at Westchester in 2020. Having no idea that just two months later, a pandemic was going to hit. That we would not even be inside our auditorium for half a year, for the entire spring and, and summer season. And I mean, I have revised that 2020 message calendar 11 times now, and I am still revising it as we speak. You see, what this year has really taught me is that a lot of things can change in a short amount of time, can it? A lot can change in a person's life in just one year, or in a season, or by just one phone call. 
or even in the blink of an eye. Maybe three or four hours from now, I might be having a nap. I might call my my, uh, mom and dad in Arizona. But I don't know what I'm going to be doing four hours from now. Or four hours from now, I might be lying in the mortuary. Six days from now, you might be burying me right down the street at Rolling Green Graveyard. I mean, I have no idea what's going to happen today, and neither does anybody else. And so James says, you are a mist that appears for a short while, but once it's gone, it's, it just vanishes. And yet the very first metaphor that is employed about us in Scripture comes in the very first book of Genesis where God, he just flat out says, you are dust. And to dust, one day you shall return. And I mean, that is really what we are at the end of the day, at least, at least our, our human bodies. We, we are just dust. All we are is dust blowing in the wind, as yet another song says. But as we really stop and we ponder our own mortality and our death, I mean, death is just so indiscriminate, isn't it? Where 2020, our very first tragedy of the year came with with just this shocking bombshell that, that of all people, Kobe Bryant has just died in a helicopter crash. Kobe Bryant and a daughter of his who was very young, 13 years old. I mean, we would have looked at Kobe Bryant 20 minutes earlier, before he got into that helicopter and said that he's got his whole life ahead of him. I mean, he's living in the prime of his life. And I mean, the very thought that, that he's going to die today, I mean, it seems like he's dying far before his time. And here is really what, what had um, astounded me, though. As an actor, maybe a week ago, Chadwick Boseman had also passed away. He was about Kobe's age, and he's an actor. And just a few months ago, he was on a photo shoot honoring Kobe Bryant's life and his legacy. And now you look at that image where he's replicating a pose Kobe made after winning a championship, and now both of these guys are dead within a matter of just months. And it just blows our minds. As for Marvin Gaye himself, as he's saying, if I would would actually die tonight, he did not actually die on that evening as he sang his song in 1973. And yet just 11 years later, he would actually die. Shot to death by his own dad, of all things. I mean, we just don't know when we are going to leave this world. You see, you and I all have an appointment with, with our own death. Every single funeral and graveside that we will ever go to, do we understand that one day that is going to be our memorial service? One day we will be the one who is being remembered and laid to rest. Every time that a person who we knew or, or who we have heard of dies and we see a picture of them, and the years of their birth stretching to the year of their death underneath a picture of them. One day, one, one evening, that is going to be us. 
as we ourselves also leave this world. And yet the reason why we admire Paul as much as we do is because, I mean, Paul understands all of this. He knows he's going to die. And yet notice in the text, though, that he is not at all intimidated by it. And clearly here is what what his reason is. He, He has a secret to not being intimidated by his own death. And that is, if he could say anything to Jesus, it would be because I have known you, Jesus. I have known the Lord. And again, I think a lot of people hear about how either we are going to to actually live or die today. A lot of people look at that as a lose-lose choice or as a possibility. Well, if I live, then what this means is that I am going to be exposed to all of the sorrow and disease and division and hatred and injustice of this world for yet another day. That is a lose-lose option there. Well, if I die, then what this means is that all of the stuff that I enjoy most in this world, what brings me the most happiness in the world, I will never get to experience it ever again. And I think about what I love most in this world and what what brings me a lot of happiness. It's waking up next to Amanda every single morning, just looking at her and, and just thinking, I love her so much. We love our dogs and they bring us a lot of happiness. Watching Sports Center early in the morning, I don't know, it just it, it makes me happy sometimes. Watching brown and yellow leaves fall in the middle of October. Watching snow fall in early January. Eating good food that we enjoy eating. All of this stuff, I, I, I enjoy it. And I, I imagine that it's going to be hard to let a lot of that stuff go. And yet again, Paul has a secret though. That I'm okay dying right now because I know Jesus. He says a little bit later in this exact same, same letter, I want to know Christ. And knowing Christ is more important than anything else in this world. And notice how when a person knows Jesus in this extreme way, it changes our perspective entirely. Whether I live or if I die, that is not a lose-lose. But rather Jesus somehow has turned even life and death into a win-win as a scenario. Because he says that, well, if I live, that is Christ and I win. If I die, that is gain, and yet again I win. Regardless if I live or if I die, I'm with Jesus. And I'm going to rejoice no matter what. You see, he says that to live is Christ, and that is yet another reminder that the Christian life here on earth, it should never be us waiting around for heaven to come to us. Yet as we saw in in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, we need to bring heaven here too. As, As the Apostle Paul says elsewhere, I die every single day in terms of lifting up my my cross of self-denial. And yet he also says later on in our text this morning that that if I'm going to live, this means more fruitful labor in my life. 
And I am on board with that, he says. You see, what this means about the Apostle Paul is that he, he never got to a point where, where he ever said, it is enough in terms of his relationship with Christ. He's been in Jesus' service all this time, but what this means is that I want to be in his service even more than I've ever been. I planted churches all over, you know, all kinds of regions. I want to keep on planting more and more churches. There are all kinds of people who I have proclaimed the gospel to who have become disciples. I want to make more and more and more of them. I'm not satisfied. I've written many, many books and many letters, but I want to write more of them. I got more letters in me if, if Jesus is going to keep me here. And yet what this also means is he says that to live is Christ. You see, what this also means is that if I'm going to continue living another day, this means more jail and persecution. I mean, Paul is the guy who received 195 lashes for Jesus. This is a guy who was stoned an inch away from his life, who had been on a ship that, that had been wrecked, not once, not twice, three times. He knows that if he continues in Jesus' service, what this means is that even more starvation coming his way. Even more cold, sleepless nights where he's got all these people trying to kill him. Worst of all, he has a thorn in his flesh and it's not going anywhere anytime soon. And yet, notice his attitude though. He says that to live, and entails all of that, to live is Christ. If I walk with Christ Jesus, if I suffer with Jesus, then you can sign me up for another day of that right now as he wakes up every single morning. Amen. He says that if I die, that is gain. He says that is a hard choice. I don't, I don't know which door I would rather go through, door one or door two. He says, well, it, it would be better if I were to actually die tonight. See, Paul is not going to be a fugitive to the angel of death. But when the angel of death comes looking for Paul, he's, he's going to greet the angel of death and he's got a bear hug for him. And that's because when a Christian dies in Scripture, it's, I just love how it is, it is described. Jesus says about a little girl who had died, Why are you guys crying? She's not even dead. She's just asleep. She's just asleep. And I mean, how, how comforting is it that Lois Williams, Betty Smith, Jim Lowry, all of these individuals, Nadine Chandler, my grandfather, these people are not dead. They're just snoozing through a pandemic right now. They're just having a nap. They are asleep right now. And I know that the holidays are going to be hard coming up where we're going to have empty chairs at our table at Thanksgiving. People who in our families have died. And just remember, as you look at those empty chairs, though, that, that I might not be able to actually see them right now. They're not walking into the, the living room right now. And yet they're just out I'm in the garage somewhere. 
Or maybe they have walked out into the yard or on the porch. I can't see them, but I know they're here somewhere. I just know that they're here with me. And you see, in Christ, death does not get to be a lose-lose, studying finality, ending to our story. But rather, whether we live or if we die, we awake in Jesus to one never-ending win-win existence. And that's because the blood of Jesus Christ that had flown off of the cross of Golgotha. The stone that was rolled away from his tomb. That is what the thudding finality is of the Christian race. And if we want to live with that kind of assurance. then lastly this morning we've got to learn to number our days. Well of course that is an expression that, that comes from Psalm 90. Which is a psalm of Moses. I don't know if you even knew Moses wrote, wrote um, psalms on occasion. What Moses says in Psalm 90 verse 12 is. Lord teach us to number our days. So that we can present to you a heart of wisdom. Well how, well, how do we count our days? We, can't, you know, we don't know how many more of them. You know. Um, we're going to live. How do we count our days? Well, we count them by looking back and counting every day that we've lived up to this point. I can break my entire life down into just three groups right now. You got childhood, which is from, you know, obviously birth through about 18 years old. And in this um, amount of time, I was taught to love Jesus by my mom and dad. It's where I learned to walk and to read and to write. To ride a bicycle and to drive a car and where I preached a sermon for the first time. Well, there's another um, segment of my life, years 18 through 33. This is where I went off to college and to a seminary. It's where I met Amanda and she became my, my wife a couple years later. We went all over the world proclaiming Christ's gospel. We came back to America and we, a lot of hard times came our way. A lot of wildernesses here and there. And yet remarkably, these last three years of my life, 33 through 36, my understanding of who Jesus is and the word of God have been revolutionized. This is the amount of time in my life where I found my voice where I began developing self-esteem, where I discovered how to actually speak without any trouble. I discovered who I am as a human being. It's also the amount of time where I had two very close experiences where I was looking death right in the face. And I had those, those um, two near-death experiences within just three years. Well, we came here, and I am a minister at this church now. And now all I know is that 36 years old, I'm waking up every morning, and I've got a different ache in my body. It might be a, a shoulder, it might be a foot, it might be an ankle. But, but I'm slowly beginning to get older. And I look back at all of these days that I can count and number. And I can see God has made me at least a little bit more wiser and mature than before. And yet that is all that I can really count right now. 
just 36 years old. It might be the end of my story. It might have a long way to go. I don't know, but you see, every single one of us can number our days in this way. You see, what it means when we number our days is that we savor each and every moment that God has given us. Where we take inventory and we kind of step back mentally and we psychologically look at every single person who we are encountering. Who we're speaking about when they're not there. And we're asking ourselves, just imagine if this person were to actually die tonight. Is that what I would, would have wanted to have been, been um, said about them? As the last thing said about them while they were alive. A man that has, has explained to me, don't you ever leave the house without first saying, I'm going to go somewhere and then give me a hug and a kiss. Because this might be the very last time that we get to see each other. We don't know. You know, in my Bible, every single week, I've got these reminders that I, I look at every single time just before I begin speaking. And the very last of these reminders that I have written in my Bible is this. I have written that this is the last time that you will ever get to do this. Preach like it. Act like it. You know, I don't know if this is going to be my, my very last sermon in some ways, I don't want it to be. In other ways, I would be okay if it was, quite frankly. And yet, every single week, I prepare the very last sermon that I will ever preach. Lord, teach us to number our days so that we can present to you a heart of wisdom. It does not mean that we look over our, our um, shoulder, living constantly in a state of fear about death. But what this simply means is that death no longer is our worst dreaded nightmare. Death now is our welcomed embrace. So as we close this morning, if you or if I were to actually die tonight, how would we feel if that were to actually come true? We know how the Apostle Paul felt. He said, how to me to live as Christ and to die is gain. I'm just wondering, is that what it is to us? Is that what we believe if we were to die tonight? That to live as Christ and to die is gain. And so what I want to invite us to in this day, as well as in, in all of the God-willing days that await us, is for everyone in this church to literally do what, what I just did a moment ago and to literally write down and to count your, your days. And take notice of everything that you have learned in your life. What you have suffered. What you have really struggled with. What drove you to your knees. And what has changed you for ever and ever and ever and for the better. And lastly, what we need to really capture this morning is to love the appearing of Jesus Christ. Not very long after he would write to the church at Philippi, the Apostle Paul now senses that he is actually going to perhaps die tonight. 
He senses that the time is at hand. And what he says to a young evangelist, Timothy, is he says, and he's speaking about himself as water spilled upon the ground, as a flower that is decaying and the stems are all falling off and he's mist that is about to evaporate. He's dust that is just about to return to the earth. He speaks about himself in the past tense. He says that the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And so henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. But let us hear this part especially, brothers and sisters. And not only to me, but also to all of those who have loved and cherished and adored the appearing of Jesus Christ. You see, what this means when we say that, Lord, I love your appearing, is that, Lord, I want to see your face. Lord, come and get me. You can have America. I've had my fill of the Eagles and the Cowboys, of the Steelers and the Patriots, of reality TV. I'm not going to be dragged kicking and screaming out of this world, clinging to the red, white, and blue, and to cars, and to possessions, and to money, and to houses. If I were to actually die tonight, though it were far before my time, I'm not going to die blue. Because I've known you. And as I say, because I've known you, I am speaking to Amanda. I'm speaking to every single one of you in this congregation. You have brought me closer to Jesus. And yet, especially when we say, because I have known you, we are speaking to the author of life, Christ Jesus. It's not a Christian song. And yet, then again it is.